have you ever noticed how easy it is to not notice something until someone says, notice this, and then you notice it? You know, example, take the color black. There's a lot of black in this room, isn't there? And now we notice it. You know, you look around, you see it everywhere. It's not like we're, we're doing the power of suggestion where we're saying, notice something that isn't there, and then you see something that isn't there. There's black in this room, and if you notice it, you see that it's everywhere. Well, when we were asked to plant this church um, and to plant it with a denomination called the Covenant, one of the things that they said is, if you're going to do this, you should always have a conscious dependence on the Holy Spirit. That's one of the things you want to see with every one of our covenant churches, one of the things we affirm. They call it a conscious dependence on the Holy Spirit. And there are a lot of great resources. If you're not, if this is new to you, talk about the Holy Spirit. Or if it's something you've never really studied before, we put a, put a couple good resources there inside your, um, inside your notes. There's a green note sheet here. And both of these resources are at the bottom. Now, this is obviously in addition to the Bible. Um, one of the ones I want to recommend is this one, Rediscovering the Holy Spirit. This book actually is the best I've ever seen as far as going through the whole Bible and showing all these different places where you see the Holy Spirit. In many places, I'd really not even stop to go, oh, that word in context is really talking about the Holy Spirit. It does a great job of that. What this book doesn't do a great job of, though, is, in fact, where I disagree with the author, is more on when it comes to how is the Holy Spirit active today. And that's why we also want to recommend this book here, Empowered Evangelicals, it's called. I think this book does a much better job of talking about how the Holy Spirit is at work in our lives and in our church today. And what this book doesn't do well, the other one does well, and that is really going into the Bible in depth. So I want to recommend both of those as two resources. But beyond all that, let's talk about why that even matters. Why would we spend all that time reading about something or studying something or diving into something? Why does it even matter? Well, if you're just joining us five weeks ago, we started a series where we're diving into the book of Acts. And what we're exploring is this movement that started in the first century, this group of people who were as broken and as imperfect as we are. But together, they built something beautiful, and they built something enduring. And at the center of that was the Holy Spirit. To, to talk about the early church or to talk about the book of Acts and to not mention the Holy Spirit, I tried to come up with an analogy. And the best I could come up with was you take Apple, the company Apple, and try to talk about Apple without mentioning computers or without mentioning iPads or iPods or the cloud or touch screens or smartphones. That is like trying to talk about the book of Acts without talking about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is that central to not just the story, because today I don't want to just talk about history. Not just central to the story, but, but central to the experience that they had. The experience of being united as one. The experience of being changed from within. All of this is the work of the Holy Spirit. In fact, one of the things pretty early on as I was putting my thoughts together for this message, I started thinking about what happens when we don't have a conscious dependence on the Holy Spirit as a church. And I could go all the rest of the time just on this, but let me just talk about four things. Four areas where, especially in our culture, I feel like we drift towards if we're not consciously tuning in to the Holy Spirit. So one of these would be, be going through the motions. When we're not consciously aware of the Holy Spirit, a lot of times we can end up just going through the motions. And something as beautiful as baptism, you know, or as, as powerful as communion can just become a ritual if the Holy Spirit isn't in it. 
without a conscious dependence on the Holy Spirit, what could be real worship becomes a sing-along. What could be a word from God becomes a talk. Prayer becomes a formality or a transitional device. And programs and facilities become ends rather than means. That's what can happen, and maybe you've experienced that before, where your experience is lifeless. Often that's because we're not consciously in tune with the Holy Spirit. Another thing that can happen, I call it crusaders. Crusaders. Without a conscious dependence on the Holy Spirit, we can quickly forget the example that Jesus set. And what should be a noble cause becomes a destructive crusade. Without the Holy Spirit, we can forget that we're called to love those that in our flesh we would consider enemies. And we can quickly forget what Jesus said and taught about being peacemakers in this world. All right, the next one here, market-driven. This one, I think, of the four, this is the one we're going to have to watch the most. If we drift from a conscious dependence on the Holy Spirit, I think this is the one that we're in the most danger of being drawn towards. Without the Holy Spirit, we can confuse God-honoring excellence with pride-driven vanity. And we can find ourselves following cultural trends rather than challenging cultural narratives. When we do that, we end up creating consumers instead of disciples. And we develop programs that only address felt needs instead of soul longings. All right, this last one might take a little bit of explanation, and it all comes down to that last word, me. Another thing that can happen if we're not consciously, uh, consciously dependent on the Holy Spirit is we can come up with what I call the it seemed good to the Spirit and to me kind of thinking. When we approach the Holy Spirit when, uh, about me rather than we in our paradigm, community begins to break down really fast. And if you've ever been in one of those situations where the people in that community are constantly saying, the Lord told me, the Lord told me, instead of, can you help me discern? I think the Holy Spirit might be whispering something. Brother, sister, can you help me discern? When they're playing the God told me card, way too soon, that, that's destructive to community. And also another thing that happens in these situations, spiritual authority is claimed and abused rather than demonstrated through word and deed. And people can begin chasing experiences instead of striving to serve and to care and to love the way that Jesus modeled and taught. Without a conscious dependence on the Holy Spirit, we can quickly forget that the Holy Spirit was poured out on the church to build the church. We're going to see some of those verses from the scriptures in just a few minutes. And it was done so so that those who comprise the church might be his witnesses. Well, today, let's draw our attention to someone who is at the center of it all as Jesus launched the church, and that is the Holy Spirit. So as we get started today, I want, if you've got your Bibles, I want you to actually do this with me. Physically open them up to this, uh, to Acts chapter 1, verse 1, and let's notice the black. This was there before I drew your attention to it, but you're going to see right from the beginning, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit is highlighted as the book of Acts opens. So if you have your Bibles, let's look, go to Acts chapter 1, verse 1, and we're going to read here through verse 8. I want to let you know, too, if you don't have a Bible, we'd encourage you to, to bring one home with you today free. We keep a stack there at the table in the back. Um, please grab one on your way out. All right, so here we go. Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. In the first book, well, Theophilus, what was Luke's first book? Luke. Very good. You're so amazing. All right. I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up. And we're going to talk about this in a little bit. He was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit. 
Here, Holy Spirit count. Bing, one, right? To the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons that the father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria to the end of the earth. If we had time to continue to read the rest of this first century document, we would see the Holy Spirit highlighted, specifically with the word spirit, about 60 times. 60 times. Wow. Is the Holy Spirit central to what was happening in those days? And I want to present to you today, the Holy Spirit is central to the life he's calling us as the church. The Holy Spirit was at the center of the Jesus movement. With the brief time we have today, I want to draw our full attention to who he is and what he does. And let's begin right here. There's a place to write this in your notes. We will never become the body of Christ without the spirit of Christ. We'll never become the body of Christ without the spirit of Christ. Revisiting Acts was so good for me personally. And to put something on the calendar, we specifically say, let's press into that the Holy Spirit, something I've you know, heard about and studied so many times before. There's always something new to learn and to see and to highlight. And one of the things that jumped out at me as I was preparing this lesson specifically is that Jesus of Nazareth is not the Christ without the Holy Spirit. I never would have used those words before. Jesus is not Jesus the Christ without the Holy Spirit. When I was a kid, I never understood Jesus Christ. I'm like, is that his last name? You know, or something. I never knew, like, what, what that was all about. I, I, I thought that Christ, again, might, might have been that, the last name or something. But Christ is a title. It's a title that means anointed one. And that title comes right out of the scriptures. It comes out of, out of this, these prophecies about the Christ being the anointed one, the Messiah being the anointed one. Here's a couple examples. This is one's from Isaiah 42.1. It says, Behold, my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen, in whom my soul delights. I have put what upon him? My spirit upon him. You know, for many of us, it's just strange, and it feels like I'm in a cult or something if I talk like this, where we think of Jesus as somehow empowered by the Holy Spirit. That just seems weird. It seems foreign to many of us, but that is what the scripture points us to. Here's another example. Another prophecy about this Messiah that was to come. Isaiah 11, 2. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding. The spirit of counsel and might. The spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And as I was preparing for this message, I was convicted of how often I conflate the work of the spirit and the work of Jesus. I often just kind of bundle it all together. In many circles, we talk so much about Jesus and so little about the Spirit. And when we do that, we can marginalize what the Bible actually teaches. In Scripture, one of the things we see is Jesus promised, before he ascended, he had promised that he was going to ask the Father and the Father was going to send the Holy Spirit. 
And then the Bible says he returned to the Father, where he sits at the right hand of God, interceding for us. And as promised, the Holy Spirit was then poured out on his bride, the church, and we've been instructed as his bride, the church, to wait and to prepare for the day when he what? When he returns. When you really embrace what the Bible seems to be describing of this one God in three persons, the Bible makes more sense, including verses like this, ones that I always kind of wonder, what do you do with this one? This is something that Jesus said to Mary Magdalene when he appeared to her right after his resurrection. He said, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and to your Father, to my God and your God. It's almost as if Jesus was right away when he was resurrected, it was almost as if he's starting to wean them away from dependence on his bodily presence with them. It's it's as if he starts wrestling that nest so that the eaglets have to fly because they're soon going to have to fly because he's going to ascend into heaven to be with the Father. Jesus accomplished what only he could. He said, it's finished. And now the Holy Spirit is accomplishing what only he can, working within us as individuals to bring about repentance and faith and empowering us and uniting us as this new body of Christ. Here's another thing that's easy to forget about the Holy Spirit. And there's a place right this in your notes too. The Holy Spirit has been active from when? The beginning. We can forget this. You know, we, if, if those of us familiar with the Bible, we hear about this Pentecost Sunday when the Holy Spirit was poured out. The Holy Spirit's been there all along. And the Holy Spirit is there from beginning to end. Literally. You go to the very first chapter of the very first book of the Bible. You go to the very last chapter of the very last book of the Bible, and look what you find. Genesis 1-2, Revelation 22-17. The earth was without form and void in the beginning. The darkness was over the face of the earth, and the Spirit of God was there, hovering over the face of the waters. Fast forward all the way to the end, where the Spirit and the bride say, come. One of my favorite resources um, when it comes to little Bibles for kids is this one. Jesus Storybook Bible. How many of you have a copy of this at home? Isn't this one great? One of the things I love about this book is how it highlights throughout the Bible, Old Testament and New, how Jesus is there. He's there in the Old Testament. You know what book they need to write, too? The Holy Spirit Storybook Bible. Because the Holy Spirit is active from beginning to end. Take a look at this. In the Old Testament, we find several examples of the Holy Spirit coming upon primarily individuals to empower them for a specific mission or task. Here's an example of that. This is from Exodus chapter 31, 1 through 5. The Lord said to Moses, See, I have called by name Bezalel. Yes, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, from the tribe of Judah. And I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with ability and intelligence with knowledge and all craftsmanship. This man was filled with the Spirit, it says. And he was filled with the Spirit in order to lead a team of artisans for a specific purpose. And this took place at the time of Moses. And it's interesting. Here's something else I never really focused on before. It's interesting to see that Moses looked forward to a day when the Spirit wouldn't just be poured out on a couple people. But Moses... Look forward to the day when the Spirit would be poured out on everyone. Take a look at this. This is an account that happened with, um, with 
Joshua and Moses right here. Here we go. This is out of the book of Numbers, chapter 11, verses 26 to 29. Now two men remained in the camp, one named Eldad and the other named Medad. And the Spirit rested on them, and they prophesied in the camp. Oh, Joshua, son of Nun, assistant of Moses from his youth, said, Lord Moses, stop them. They're doing what you're supposed to do. But Moses said to Joshua, are you jealous for my sake? Would that all of the Lord's people were prophets, that the Lord would put his spirit on them. And there's several prophecies in the Old Testament that speak of that day. When the spirit in the last days would be poured out on all of God's people. In the, in the book of Acts, the people begin to realize the last days are now. This is happening. This is happening in our midst. All right, another thing that the early church realized is that the scriptures reveal that the prophecies about the Holy Spirit were fueled by the Holy Spirit. We read this. Here's an example of that. Second Peter Verse 21, as Peter's looking back on all these things that had happened, he says this, For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is even inspiring prophecy within the prophets themselves. So in summary, the Holy Spirit was at work in the lives of people in the Old Testament. But generally speaking in the Old Testament, the Spirit's work was limited in scope to specific people in specific situations. That's why Pentecost was such a game changer. I want to encourage you to write this down. The Holy Spirit has now been poured out on the church. This thing that Moses could only hope for someday has happened. The work of the Holy Spirit has always been purposeful. And one result of the Holy Spirit being poured out on the church was a new and deeper level of community. And the Holy Spirit wasn't simply building a community for the sake of building a community. The Holy Spirit was building a community with a purpose. And I came across this great quote as I prepared for this teaching. It says this, The Holy Spirit was not sent at Pentecost to lead us away from this world, but to do what? To send us into it. That's what this community is about. Not to run away, but to be sent into it. And to represent Jesus in it. This author, when they went on to say, I love this, that the Spirit creates an extroverted church. That doesn't mean a church filled with extroverted personalities. It means a church that is, that is geared towards how do we witness well? How do we reach out well? How do we represent God well to the world around us? And then how do we invite others into this family that God is building so they can experience what we're experiencing? Here's another great quote that speaks to that. Together, the Spirit and the church are inviting the world to the wedding feast of the Lamb. And the church is not merely the messenger, but the beloved, who is the bride at the feast. The church is therefore not only the agent of the kingdom, but the goal of the kingdom itself. Caitlin, people love stuff like that. We write those in our papers, right? Don't they? Those kind of lines. But this is true. This is true. When we think about the Holy Spirit in only individualistic terms, we miss the point. We miss the point. And that leads right to our next point. The Holy Spirit, there's a place to write this down. The Holy Spirit is both God and gift. We don't want to forget that. When we focus on the Holy Spirit as a gift, 
The Holy Spirit is also God. In the book of Luke, Jesus refers to the Holy Spirit as a gift. The Holy Spirit is certainly one of the greatest gifts ever given. But the Holy Spirit is more than a gift. The Holy Spirit is also God. Another one of my many convictions this week is how I've marginalized the historic creeds that point this out. And my intentions have been good, you know, of not just pushing, pushing, pushing the Apostles' Creed or the Nicene Creed. My intentions are good because I don't want to say that, that those words are, are the same as Scripture. I don't want us to get into the habit of just doing ritual for ritual's sake. But I was convicted when I was rereading those creeds of how great they are at keeping us pointed to what the Bible actually says instead of drifting off to all kinds of crazy beliefs. Look what the Nicene Creed references about the Holy Spirit in just a few words. We believe in the Holy Spirit. You know what? Just because I grew up reciting these, would you read these words with me? We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son. With the Father and Son, he is worshipped and glorified. He has spoken through the prophets. Would there be some value in doing that once in a while together where we're saying these things that are true? Because look at what's saying here. We often forget. I often forget. I'll speak for myself. I often forget the Holy Spirit is to be what? Worshipped and glorified. Wow. Where I want to go with this right now, though, is to remind us that we are turning things upside down when we seek the Lord to advance our agenda rather than saying, you are God. How do I align with your agenda through the empowering of your Holy Spirit? The other thing that can happen often when we, when we see the Holy Spirit at work or what appears to be the Holy Spirit at work, we can continually chase after a revival experience somewhere else and not partner with the Holy Spirit in the work of reviving our communities. That can happen, can't it? The Holy Spirit's gifts, the Holy Spirit gifts and empowers us to advance God's agenda. Here are these passages I said earlier. We'd come back and I'd show you where it says these things. This is out of 1 Corinthians selections from chapter 12. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for what? The common good. All of these spiritual gifts are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as what? He wills. For the body does not consist of one member, but many. Since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. This isn't a pastor telling you this. For selfish ends, this is the Word of God saying this is what we're called to do. One of the interesting points that one of my my sources brought up is a similarity between God and His church. And they made this obvious point that seems obvious now that the Holy Trinity consists of one God who exists in three persons who are united in their work. And are we called to be one church consisting of many persons, each one of us uniquely gifted, who are to be united in God's work? All right, let's move on to our next point. And I think many of you are going to appreciate seeing this one in print. I won't ask you for a show of hands but I think many of you will. The Holy Spirit orders and reorders. If you've ever been in a gathering of Christians where things are just chaotic, just chaotic, and they're saying, this is the Holy Spirit, and you've heard that little whisper, and you're looking at the chaos, not apparent chaos, actual chaos. If you ever felt like you heard the Holy Spirit whisper, 
There's a chance that that's true. There is a chance that you're not understanding something that is God reordering. That's true too. But if it's truly just chaos, there's a chance that little stall voice, that check in your spirit, is from the Holy Spirit. If you're going to quote me on something this morning, quote me on this. The Holy Spirit is often disruptive, but the Holy Spirit is disruptive in the same way that a well-conceived restoration project is disruptive or a life-saving operation is disruptive or an intervention from people who love us is disruptive. Emmanuel is blessed, blessed to have outstanding elders. And months and months ago, when the series was just an idea on a flip chart, and we were talking about, okay, if we do talk about the book of Acts, what are some of the things we want to stress within that? And one of our elders talked about this. She said, there was a radical reordering, a radical reordering of our lives and our loves. We got great elders or what? Because isn't that, isn't that basically the story of Acts right there? There was a radical reordering of our lives and loves. Thank you, Sharon, for that. If we let him, the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin and aligns our hearts and minds with the heart and mind of Christ. And as he does that within each of us as individuals, he also aligns us as a community. Here's another one of these 3,000 quotes I'm going to throw at you this morning because they say it better than I could with my own words and I don't want to plagiarize, so here it is. Credit where credit is due. The Holy Spirit is the one who turns a house into a home, created space into a covenantal place where God dwells with his people. It is the Spirit who creates a body for Christ. Otherwise, otherwise, he is a head without a body, a forerunner without a team, a first fruits without a harvest, a husband without a bride. And that quote leads right into our next point. Place right this in your notes. The Holy Spirit shines a spotlight on who? On Christ. The Holy Spirit shines the spotlight on Christ. Author and theologian J.I. Packer compares the Holy Spirit to a spotlight. If you want to think of the Holy Spirit, that's one way to think of the Holy Spirit, like a spotlight. A spotlight that illuminates a glorious cathedral at night. That kind of spotlight doesn't draw attention to itself. This kind of spotlight focuses our attention on something, or in the case of the Holy Spirit, on someone else. The Holy Spirit shines the spotlight on Christ. So much so that in Paul's letters, the Holy Spirit is sometimes actually called the Spirit of Christ. Horton describes what happens when we turn the spotlight on the Holy Spirit. So now if we take the spotlight, we turn it from Christ to the Holy Spirit, here's what we see. He says, when we turn the spotlight on the Spirit, we find him engaged always in something related to who? To Christ. Not only in the biblical drama, but even in our own lives. Our first experience with God is with the Holy Spirit. I love that last phrase. Our first experience with God is an experience with the Holy Spirit. That last phrase is pure gold. This is the kind of things that theologians say, not just him. Look at this. Here's a couple examples. This is from John Kelvin. No particle of grace from God may come to us except through the Holy Spirit. Here's another one. Cooperation does not lead to a new birth, but from it. Now, why do theologians say things like this? Because the Bible says things like this. Take a look at this. 1 Corinthians 12, 3. No one 
No one can say Jesus is Lord except in the what? Holy Spirit. We can't even say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. If this is true, if our first experience with God is with the Holy Spirit, how does that happen? How do we get the Holy Spirit? That, my friends, is a cause for great and heated discussion among the people of God. It is something that the church argue endlessly about. There are those who attribute all of this. They say it is God's election. He decides who will receive the Spirit. There are those who believe that we receive the Spirit at our baptism. There's those that say we receive it at our conversion. There are those who believe that there's a second blessing, a baptism of the Holy Spirit that is similar to what the disciples experienced at Pentecost, and every person can make a case. One of the reasons you can make a case for all these things is you see so many different examples of people receiving the Spirit in apparently so many different ways in the Scripture. And as I was thinking about all the arguments that I've seen over the years and how people get really like, they get fierce at each other on this stuff. And I was thinking about this. And I was thinking about the Holy Spirit. I found myself wondering how many times when people are talking about the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit's saying, I'm out of this conversation. You know, I, I'm just not in this conversation, this argument right now. As I've been reading and rereading Acts, I can't find a single formula that applies to every instance. There are some people who are baptized before there is evidence of the Holy Spirit. There are some people who are baptized after There's evidence of the Holy Spirit. There's some evidence of the Holy Spirit at work in people's lives before someone lays hands and prays for them. There's an example of it happening after. And here's a thought that hit me this week, for what it's worth. If the church is the bride, maybe all this is a lot more like marriage. I've officiated a lot of weddings. If you were to ask me exactly when is somebody married, I don't know. You make a case for several things, right? Is it after both people say, I do? Is it after we make that beautiful pronouncement? Now before God, with you as witnesses, I pronounce them husband and wife. Is it after the legal papers are signed? Is it after the marriage is physically consummated? You you can make a case for many things, right? I can't tell you the exact moment that two individuals go from not married to married. But I can tell you this. If all that you're doing is looking back on your wedding day, instead of trying to build a vibrant marriage, you're not going to have a vibrant marriage. Right? Isn't the whole point of the wedding to have a vibrant marriage? What if we look at all these things so that we can stay within the boundaries of Scripture when it comes to the Holy Spirit, but what if instead of arguing about exactly when and precisely when, what if we really focused on a Conscious dependence on the Holy Spirit. That brings us to our last point, where we started with at the beginning. You know, let's jump right to that talk point, Mike. Are you living with a conscious dependence on the Holy Spirit? What a great question. Are you seeking the kind of vibrant, growing faith that we see people experiencing in the book of Acts? If you're tired of empty religion that just feels like you're going through the motions, I want to invite you to seek a conscious dependence on the Holy Spirit. If you're tired of crusader religion, where it seems like we are just constantly making enemies and fighting instead of trying to figure out how we can witness 
in such a broken world? If you find yourself being pulled into religion that caters more to your consumer preferences than it does challenge you to take up the cross and follow Jesus. If you find yourself constantly saying, God, bless my plans, bless my plans, instead of defaulting to, God, what is your agenda? And how can I align with it, with your help? Well, if that's the case, Jesus said, the Father will give the gift of the Holy Spirit to those who ask. Paul reminds us that we can quench the Spirit or we can yield to the Spirit. We have biblical precedents for praying with the laying on of hands, for the filling and stirring up of the Holy Spirit. There is a clear link between water baptism and the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. There are all kinds of steps, all kinds of things, all kinds of activities that we can take. And we'd be happy, we'd be honored to partner with you in any of those, even today. But first things first, are we seeking a conscious dependence on the Holy Spirit? As the worship band comes up to seal this time with a song, I want to pray for that, to that end, right here, right now, that we would all seek a conscious dependence on the Holy Spirit. Would you join me in prayer? Father, I want to start by just confessing that I have not been doing a great job of leading us in a, in a way that fully, fully, fully embraces the fullness of you, that fully embraces what a good father you are and how you give good gifts and that you are worthy of our complete devotion and complete respect and complete honor. And Father, this is a church that elevates Jesus, but boy, we could sure do more to really focus in on the example that he set and the teachings that he gave us. And Father, help us increasingly to really embrace this conscious dependence on your Holy Spirit, this amazing gift, this helper, this guide, this advocate that can indwell us. And so, Father, we pray right now as individuals, as a church, that your Spirit would descend on us once again, that you would fill us to overflowing, that you would empower us to turn from things that would quench your Spirit, quench your work in us, that we would, right here, right now, yield all things to you. That we may become more like a conduit of your Holy Spirit. Flowing in us, through us. Flushing out all that is not of you. Cleansing us from all that is not of you. Every thought, every behavior, every addiction. That we may, like these jars of clay, have something pure and beautiful within us that comes pouring out. Father, we open ourselves and yield ourselves to that. In Jesus' name, amen.